Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. On today's episode, we're going to preview yet another massive match for Napoli, and I'm joined by a guest to help me with this preview. She is the host of the excellent play-by-play podcast, and she's a huge Milanista, Sabrina Belmonte, welcome to Forza Napoli. Thank you. So glad to be here. It's a pleasure. All right. So the massive match I mentioned is, of course, Milan-Napoli, which will be played on Sunday at the San Siro. These two clubs have had a very similar trajectory in the first half of the season. They both started unbeaten in their first 12 matches, but then injuries started to pile up and both clubs have dropped points lately. We'll talk more about the injury situation in part two, but I want to start from the beginning of the season, maybe even a little bit before the start of the season. Obviously, the big story in the summer and even last season was Gijo Donnarumma going to PSG, or at least the the contract negotiations that were happening last season. He ended up going to PSG on a free transfer. Hakan Cholonoglu went to Inter on a free transfer as well. Jens Peter Hauga was loaned to Eintracht Frankfurt. He played his role in getting Milan back to the Champions League last season too. So with all of those players leaving, did you expect Milan to start the season as well as they did? Or were you expecting a bit of a drop-off this season? I honestly was not expecting a drop-off at all. Hakan was always so inconsistent with Milan. I know he's been a little more consistent since being with Inter, so it might seem like I'm just being bitter, but... Anyone who's being objective knows that when he was at Milan, he was very inconsistent. So with him gone, I didn't really expect to skip a beat. I was really worried about Gijo leaving, but from everything that I had heard about Mignon, I expected him to just come to Milan, fit in right away. And I didn't think he'd be at the same level as Gijo, but I figured, you know, he'd be decent. 
but he really filled the shoes well. So that was, we didn't skip a beat there. And with Hauga, it was sad to see him go. He had such a great attitude and he was such a good team player. And he did get some crucial points for us. But with Leao picking up at the end of last season, I thought with him gone, it'll, you know, Leao getting more of the playing time would be a better thing for us, not anything to take away. So I was expecting it to go well. And I'm glad that it did, because those were some pretty important players that we lost. Yeah, you've touched on kind of the two key reasons why I think Milan have started so strong despite losing those key players. One is the transfers that came in. You mentioned Mike Magnon, for example. And the other is the work of Stefano Pioli, particularly with how he's improved this young Milan squad, which is still very young despite having a couple of older guys in the squad. So let's start with the incoming transfers. You mentioned Mike Magnon, who came over from Lille, Olivier Giroud, and Timoy Bakayoko came over from Chelsea. Florenzi came over from Roma, but technically he spent the last few seasons at other clubs. And then there were a few other players here and there. I take it, based on what you said, that you must be pretty happy with how these transfers have worked out for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely Mike Magnon is the signing of the summer. And the fact that they were able to get that done pretty much before they wrapped up the season. That was just phenomenal work by the sporting director. I thought he, again, I thought he would come in, that he'd be okay, he'd be solid, but he's actually been somewhat of an improvement on Gijo because anyone who watched Gijo saw that over the years, his footwork has improved, but he just wasn't the type of goalkeeper that was good with his feet. But seeing Mignon come in and how good he is with his feet, how good he is with distribution was a huge plus. I was really hopeful for Bakayoko coming back because, you know, he struggled the first bit when he was at Milan initially, and then he was, he was unstoppable. He was great for us, but he's been really disappointing. He's made a lot of crucial mistakes, which has led to drop points both in the league and the champions league. So really disappointed in him. The same goes for players like Pellegri, Balotouré, just haven't really produced much playing with Milan. As far as Florenzi, I thought he's been average. He hasn't really been a liability, but he hasn't really, you know, set the world on fire, but he's been decent, especially since Calabria has been out. But aside from Mignon, I think my biggest surprise was Macias. I thought when he came in, he'd be decent. He was versatile. He could play in the number 10 role. He could play right wing. And I thought, eh, if we have an injury, He'll do a job, and that's pretty much what we got him for. And I think every Milan fan could agree that he has done so much more. A lot of Milan fans didn't want him at all and thought it was a a terrible signing. But based on everything he's done, and not even just that goal against Atletico, but he's been so great. And it's really nice to see that we could get a gem like that for such a low, low fee. Just to touch on each of those players, one of the things that stood out to me with Magnon at the start of the season was what you said, his distribution. He was dropping, it was like he was playing uh, chip passes, but from his own box, you know, putting it on Leao's foot and all of a sudden Milan go from a goal kick to to having a chance at the other end. Mm-hmm. Bakayoko, I think Napoli fans are, are all too familiar with that experience, but I know from speaking to other Milanisti that he was good in his previous time at Milan, so we'll see if he can turn that around. But I wouldn't be terribly optimistic there. Pellegri, I guess the the story of his career has been injuries, right? He's uh, always seems to 
be uh, picking up some sort of injury or another. So that's it's unfortunate because he was touted to be one of Italy's best young prospects. I agree on Florenzi. I, I'm kind of neither here nor there on him. But like you said, with Calabria out, at least it's an experienced player that you can throw in there and he can fill the void until Calabria comes back. And then Messias, yeah, I mean, I personally thought it was a great signing at the time. I watched a lot of Crotone, believe it or not, last season. And so I saw what he was capable of. But you always question whether a player can make that transition from a team like Crotone to a bigger club, especially mm-hmm. at that age. And and he's passed those tests with flying colors. So credit to Maldini and, and his staff for for finding these players and, and doing it without overspending, which I think is a, a big key to Milan's whole strategy, you know, with those Donnarumma and Chalanoglu situations, he really stuck to his guns on not overspending. Mm-hmm. Before I get to Pioli, though, I want to get your thoughts on on the Frank Kessie situation because it's a similar one to Donnarumma and Hakan where you're negotiating with a player in the final year of his contract. We know what that's like as well at Napoli because we're doing the same thing with Lorenzo Insigne. Mm-hmm. And he could be potentially another high-value player that leaves on a free transfer. So... Do you take comfort in knowing that the club has done well to replace the guys that have left already? Or do you worry that eventually this might catch up to you? I have confidence in them, especially because lately my philosophy and most football fans have this philosophy too, is just love the jersey, not the player. Because the players come and go, but really what your first love is, is the team. So you know that, you know, these players aren't going to stay forever. Those days are over. And just seeing how management has been able to pivot and get good players in their places, I have every confidence. The only issue I see is that they have to stop losing players without a transfer fee. And I honestly don't know how they can help that because it seems to be the trend now where especially the whole football world was decimated with COVID financially. So it's, it seems like a strategy that agents are telling their players, like just write out your contract and then you can go to another club wherever you want to go and you can negotiate the salary you want because they won't have paid a transfer fee for you. So I'm not sure how management can get around that. Also it's up to the player too, because I think most Milan fans were really mad, mostly at Gijo because he was a product of our youth academy but still for Hakan as well. It's like you couldn't have just signed like a year contract or something and then left for like even a minimal transfer fee. Like even if Gijo left for 10 million, somebody would have paid that. And for us, you know, he had no amortized value. So even 10 million for us would have helped. So it just depends on the type of player that you have, but Kessie's shaping out to be another disappointing player that in the summer he was like, I love Milan. I want to stay. The directors know that same kind of thing, kiss the badge. And now we're in December and every time they get close to agreeing on a number, he wants more, he wants more, he wants more. He wants 9 million euros and he hasn't had the most stable of seasons. So in this case, I think great stick to your guns, let him go. It would be nice to get a fee for him. But at the end of the day, we have to stick to our strategy. And I have every confidence that the management will replace him adequately. This has been a hot topic lately with agents. And there's talks about potentially capping the agents uh, commissions because it really feels like the agents interests are not 
necessarily aligns with the player's interests. It seems like they're more interested in moving players to other clubs because that'll probably drive up the wages, drive up the mm-hmm. transfer fees, and that all means more money for the agents as well. I think part of the issue here is that I agree that you know if you can sell these players before the the end of their contract, at least you can get a fee out of that. And I know a lot of fans were disappointed that that Milan weren't able to get a, a transfer fee out of arguably the best goalkeeper in the world. But I think at the same time, the clubs are probably in these situations confident that they're going to renew the player. And mm-hmm. and again, I, I refer back to Lorenzo Insigne at Napoli. It's, I, I mean, that one's a little bit different because he's, well, I guess, you know, Donnarumma came through the Milan system as well, but Napoli's, yeah. Insigne's from Napoli, so it's yeah. even more of a connection there. But I think part of it is that they're maybe overconfident that they're going to get the deal done and that you're taking on a little bit of risk when you leave it to the end of the season, whereas if you can at least extend them, like you said, for a year or two, you can get a transfer fee out of it. I guess the one sort of silver lining in this situation is that you do save on wages going forward because some of these guys are on some pretty high wages. So a lot of people like to focus on the potential loss to revenue from the sales and not so much on on the savings on wages. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned Stefano Pioli. I have to admit, I was one of the people last season who thought that he would eventually tail off and the results would catch up to him. I mean, Milan didn't have the best second half of the season, but I think we can all say that Pioli has been a, a huge success at Milan. And he's done this through an incredibly challenging time. Again, we'll talk about all the injuries over the last couple seasons, but looking back at Milan's sort of history of coaches over the last decade or so, it was after Allegri, it was basically a revolving door of ex-Milan players in charge from Seydorf to Inzaghi to Brocchi, and then you had Montella before Gattuso came back. You must be thrilled with what Pioli's done so far and also just to have some stability at that manager role. Absolutely. Because like you said, since Allegri left, it's basically just been a coaching carousel. One coach comes in, we get excited. They don't even get a chance or they do such a terrible job and they're out and we're looking for another coach. And I think this was just the perfect storm. So everybody knows Pioli's a very good man manager and I was very excited for him to come. I know a lot of Milan fans were Pioli out before they even announced it, but there was a few of us on Milan Twitter who were for Pioli coming to the club. And I thought after what he's done at Fiorentina with the personality wise, the stuff he had to deal with when Davide Astori passed away, I thought we couldn't have asked for a better manager to come in because after the disaster with Giampaolo and he was just kind of hanging his players out to dry saying Paqueta's too Brazilian and saying stuff like that in interviews it's not really a way to groom young players. So I was very excited for him to come in. And I thought, even if he's a caretaker coach, he'll probably be able to steady the ship. I had no idea that he would last this long. He would do this well. The faith that he showed in the players, they're giving that faith back to him. And a lot of the players have been very vocal about it. They're saying, you know, he believed in us like that game against Juventus last year when Brahim Diaz started over Hakan and he scored and he went to hug Pioli. He said after, you know, the coach believed in me, he put all this faith in me and I'm so glad that I can pay him back. So Pioli has just been, he's been a rock and we haven't had that in so long. And I mean, coaches are going to come and go. There's, there's no more coaches like Sir Alex Ferguson. He's not going to be here for the rest of his career, but even if 
it ends in the next few years, I think he's done a fantastic job and he deserves everybody's praise. Absolutely. There's crazy stat, you know, we're at just about the midway point of the season and Pioli is only one of four managers that were still with the same club at the end of last season. Gasparini at Atalanta, Mihailovic at Bologna and Paolo Zanetti at Venezia are the other three. So I think that's really important for Milan because like I said, other than a few players, this is still a very young Milan squad and Mm -hmm. it's not going to help them to have managers constantly changing, which means different tactics, different formations, different styles of coaching. Aside from qualifying for the Champions League, I think Pioli's biggest accomplishment so far in his tenure at Milan has been the development of that young talent. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Especially because I think being a young player today is so much different than it was in the past. You have to deal with social media and the negative comments that come from that. And the fact that the young players are constantly on their phone and looking at that and confidence plays such a role in a game. Like, You can have all the talent in the world, but if you lack the confidence, you won't see the results on the pitch. So I think Pioli's done a great job of saying, I have faith in you. I know you can do this job. And to have a coach, especially of that age, come to a young player and say, I have faith in you and I know you can do this and I'm going to take a chance on you, I think has just been a huge difference. And we've seen the growth in players, especially like Raheem Diaz, Calabria, And especially players like Calabria who have seen so many coaches come and go and their status within the team changing to have that him come in, be stable and help them grow as players, as men, as just human beings in general has been phenomenal. That's definitely his greatest accomplishment because no other coaches have been able to accomplish that. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of the names. There's there's so many young talents that I think have had better seasons or have grown under Pioli. I mean, I'm sure Interisti, uh, sorry, Milanisti are frustrated with Hakan, first of all, going to the rival club and then playing consistently. Cause as you said, he historically hasn't been consistent to, during his time at Milan, but mm-hmm. his departure allowed Brahim Diaz to take on a bigger load. And he's really thriving in that number 10 role. You mentioned Calabria, who's become a leader of this team. He's wearing the captain's armband at only 25 years old or whatever it is. And, He's also contributing more in the attack. And then you have, you know, Sandro Tonali, who really struggled last season, and he's looking a lot better this season. I think he could even get into the national team, which would be a huge accomplishment given the depth that the Azzurri have in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Rafael Leao is easily having his best season at Milan, and he's really playing with a lot of confidence. He's already up to five goals and three assists, I believe, in all competitions, and he only had six and six all of last season. Mm -hmm. And then you have other guys like Salamakers and Daniel Maldini who have had some important moments as well. I guess the issue, though, is with a number of these players, and just like at Napoli, they're being slowed down by injuries. So we're going to talk more about that in part two. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Let's talk about the big story heading into this match, which is the injury situation that both of these clubs are dealing with. Can you give us an update on those injuries and who you think might be in the squad or not in the squad? So based on the latest information, Leao is still out. Unfortunately, will be out till January. Calabria is still out. Rabic is still out. He probably won't come back till January either. And Pellegrini is out as well. The good news that we got today was that uh, Giroud started training with the group. Prior to that, he was just doing individual workouts. So they're 
kind of optimistic that he may be called up for the match. So if he does, I doubt he'll be starting. I think Pioli will still go with Ibrahimovic, but to get Giroud back on the bench and maybe play 10 or 15 minutes could be very possible for the Napoli game. Did Leao maybe aggravate something? Because wasn't he in the squad against, was it Udinese at the weekend? Yeah, so he had a muscle issue. I think it was against Salernitana. And then Pioli took him out because he didn't want to aggravate it. And then, you know, they thought he was okay. And then in training, he really did a number on whatever muscle injury he had. And now they're saying that he probably won't be back until January. So it must have been something that was nagging at him. And we already had Rebic out, who was our other left winger. Now Leao is out until January. So that's a, a huge blow for us against Napoli. So advantage there for you guys that are two left wingers are going to be out until January. No hope to come back for this match. Yeah, well, don't worry. We've we've got you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've got you covered when it comes to injury. So let me give you and, and the listeners an update on Napoli's injury situation. Victor Osman's definitely out. He's back on the field training, but it's all non-contact stuff. He's not going to be back probably until February when you factor in the Africa Cup of Nations. Mm -hmm. Likewise, Koulibaly is doing personalized work on the field. We'll have to see what the Saturday training report says, but I don't think he'll be in the squad on Sunday either. There's some doubt about whether Mario Rui will be in the squad. His agent, Mario Giuffredi, said in an interview with at the Italian Sports Awards earlier this week that he's dealing with fatigue and Giuffredi said he's not sure if he'll recover on time for the match, but he did complete the full group training on Friday, which suggests that he will be in the squad. Stanislav Loboka also completed the full group training on Friday, which is the first time he's done that since he got hurt in the Atalanta match. So even if he is in the squad, I think he'd likely start on the bench. No one really knows the situation with Piotr Zielinski. They're testing him regularly and he's training but given the nature of that injury, I think they're going to be very careful with this. I don't think they're going to take any chances with him. Yeah. Fabian Ruiz, like Koulibaly, did therapy and personalized work on the field on Friday as well. So he most likely will not be in the squad either. And then finally, Lorenzo Insigne, his situation is kind of similar to Leao's, where he played at the weekend against Empoli. I don't think they wanted to play him. They were kind of forced to use him because Zielinski came off with trouble breathing and he ended up playing 70 minutes. And now he's been training in the gym all week. He hasn't touched the field. So I have my doubts about whether he'll get into the squad again. I think the Saturday training report will will give us a stronger indication. So those are the injured players. <laughs> then you have all the players that have just got back from injury and and maybe aren't fully fit. You have Angisa, who returns for the Empoli match and was clearly not fully fit for that match. Diego Demme and Matteo Politano have looked a little bit sluggish since they came back from COVID. In fact, Giuffredi, who represents Politano as well, said that after recovering from COVID, Politano had an intestinal issue, which is the same thing that Manolas had. So there must be Jeez. some sort of bug going around <laughs> in the squad. It's like we can't catch a break with this stuff. When it rains, it pours. Exactly. So before we get to the starting lineups, are there any Milan players like Laboca and Gisa, Demme, Politano that you think will be in the squad, but perhaps won't be fully fit? Should only be Giroud at this point that will be there, but probably not 100%. Other than that, everybody, I don't even want to say it because I don't want to jinx it. But yeah, I'll just stick with it's It's Giroud is the only one who will be there, but probably not 100%. Okay, so taking all of those injuries into consideration, 
what are you expecting Milan starting 11 to look like? Okay, so they're predicting Mignon to start in goal, Tamori and Romagnoli as a centre-back pairing since Kair's uh, out for the rest of the season. Florenzi's projected to start at right-back, Hernandez at left-back. Uh, you'll have Tonali and Kessi in the double pivot. Our versatile Lord Krunich at left wing, uh, Salamakers on the right side, and Diaz in the middle, and then Ibra will be starting up top as the striker. Okay, I mean, that's still a, a pretty strong squad, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Napoli, first of all, we'll have Spalletti back on the touchline. He missed the last two matches due to suspension. I think we will also line up in our usual 4 2 3 1. I wouldn't be shocked if we used the 3 4 3 just because with player availability he might make that adjustment that he's done before David Ospina will definitely start in goal and Amir Rachmani and Juan Jesus will definitely start at center back so I think that's a bit of an advantage for Ibrahimovic there if he can match up against uh, Juan Jesus I, I really like the play of Amir Rachmani so hopefully he'll mark Ibra but you know then that kind of leaves Brahim to take on Juan Jesus we have almost no depth at center back at the moment I mentioned that Koulibaly is probably out I don't know if you've been following uh, much of the Napoli stories lately, but it's been a pretty wild week for Costas Manolas. Uh, yeah, there was a story. He leaving. Well, he's gone actually. So, oh, he left. He went yeah, to it's, it's, been, it's, it's been progressing pretty rapidly. So, it started on Wednesday, where there was a story that he was stopped at the airport and that he had too much cash on him, like more than the legal allowable limit, and that he might get fined. That turned out to be a false story. Uh, apparently, he was going to Greece for family reasons with the permission of the club and that he didn't have too much cash. He was within the legal limit. Then on Thursday, all the big transfer experts reported that Napoli agreed to terms to sell Manolas to Olympiacos, who he was linked to in the, right at the very end of the summer Mercato. So apparently, while he was visiting family, he made a quick stop at his former club. He took some medicals and he passed them. He signed the contract and he recorded a whole bunch of promotional material on this wow. uh, short <laughs> on this short family trip, apparently. So um, according to Alfredo Pedula, Napoli have agreed to terms. It's for two and a half million euros plus one million euros in bonuses. And then he waived his December payment, which is about 400,000 euros. So the total value of the deal is about four million that's pretty low for a player who still has two and a half years left on his contract, which expires in 2024. We had, I believe, 3.6 million euros left to be amortized. So from that 36 million euro purchase from Roma, which I think most Napoli fans agree that this was a, a failed transfer. I think the fact that he's taking a pay cut, he's going to be paid about 2 million euros from Olympiacos really tells us how badly he wanted to move on from the club. But Kind of like with those players that walked away on a free. I think the big thing for Napoli here was the savings and salary because he currently earns 4 million euros with two and a half years left on his contract. That's 10 million euros of salary that we're going to save. So more than likely, I mean, technically he's still a Napoli player until the January market opens because that's when the transaction takes effect. But I'm pretty sure he just stayed in Greece. I don't think they would risk injuring him because he is injury prone. Uh, by having him suit up. So we're basically coming into this match with just two center backs and Di Lorenzo can kind of be the backup if something were to happen and he needs to shift into the middle. Mm-hmm. If Mario Rui is fit to start, he will play at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo would play at right back. If Mario Rui is not fit, then I think we have a couple of options. We could either start Di Lorenzo on the left and play Kevin Malqui on the right, or we can leave Di Lorenzo on the right and start Fauzi Lulam on the left. 
I think in both of those cases, we're worse off than if we had Mario Rui starting, which is something a lot of Napoli fans would not have said coming into the season. <laughs> if <I'm being> <laughs> um, we also have Alessandro Zanoli back. He recovered from COVID, but given what I said about them and Politano taking a while to fully recover, there's no way that he's going to start. He, even when healthy, he doesn't usually start anyways. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see Frank Zamboangisa and Diego Demme in the double pivot. The hard part for us to predict is the three players in front of the double pivot and behind Dries Mertens who will start at striker. Even if Insignia doesn't start, there are a lot of different combinations of players we can use between Elmas, Unas, Lozano, and Politano. Politano can only play as a right winger. Elmas can play in the 10 or on the left wing, and Unas can play in the 10 or on the right wing. And then Lozano can play in all three positions. Even though Politano hasn't started since he returned from COVID, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he starts on the right wing, Lozano starts on the left and Elmas in the 10, which then leaves Unas as a sort of flex utility type option off the bench. So last question before we get to predictions, I want to get your thoughts on Milan's playing style. And again, given all the injuries, have Milan adjusted tactically? Has the approach changed or have the reserve players simply filled in the gaps for the injured players? For the most part, it's just the reserve players filling in for the starters that are out. The only thing that is very exploitable for Napoli that I've noticed lately is that in the absence of having Leao or Rebic on the left wing, you see Hernandez pushing forward all the time anyway. But throughout the game, you see Hernandez playing more as a left wing than as a left back who pushes forward. And he'll have one of the two of the double pivot. It's usually either Cassie or Benacer, depending on who's starting will slot back into the defense to help out and freeze up a lot of space in the midfield, which is where we've been really struggling in these last few games. So that's the only little difference that I've noticed since we've been without Liao and Rebic, but otherwise our approach would be the exact same as it was before all the injuries. So I've actually noticed this and it's funny that you say it's something that Napoli can exploit because it, for me, it's something that Napoli might be concerned about because Leao <laughs> is so, so good getting, uh, sorry, not Leao, Teo is so good getting forward. It looks like he becomes, like you said, an, a left winger or even a, a midfielder, a left-sided midfielder. And I did notice that one of those guys in the double pivot will drop in between the center backs. Sometimes they're even the last man back for how mm-hmm. deep they get. And it's interesting because both teams play a 4-2-3-1, but they play very differently. Like Napoli are very compact. We look to play very short, quick passes and progress up the field that way, where I find Milan tends to to spread out a little bit more yeah. and move around. And you have those, I mean, I think both teams send their fullbacks forward, but I find that Napoli's fullbacks stay wide the whole time and, and they're more supporting. Whereas like you said, Teo, especially and Calabria, when he was healthy, they, they really are an important part of the attack. And then guys will drop and cover for them. So mm-hmm. I think that'll be really interesting to watch. So let's close with some predictions. How do you see with this one ending? <sighs> it's so hard for me to make predictions. But what I will say is that if Milan continue to play the way they have in the last few matches, very dazed, distracted, not mentally composed. I just think that there's no way that they're going to get past Napoli. If they finally get their heads in place, I think just because of the, all the injuries that you guys have, which is unfortunate, we'd have a good chance, especially with uh, Ibrahimovic doing what he does lately. 
but it, I don't know. It just all depends on, on how they show up to the game, which I know is kind of a cop out, but I'll just say overall, I'm not too confident based on recent form. I think maybe we're both trying to not jinx our own team. <laughs> <laughs> We've had enough bad luck. We don't want to jinx anything. Yeah, so us. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a, a reverse jinx approach. I'm gonna predict a Milan win. I'm gonna say two to one. And my key reasons are one, we kind of touched on with Tail getting forward. He causes us a lot of problems. I, you know, Di Lorenzo is a great right back, but we've seen this in in previous matchups that he causes problems. And as you said, Ibrahimovic. You know, I think back to the first meeting last season and he just absolutely destroyed us. It was over with the two goals that he scored. And our back line is obviously not as strong without Koulibaly there. So if he did that with Koulibaly playing, I, I'm you know scared to think of what might happen without Koulibaly. I think Milan have also done a better job at getting results in spite of the injuries. I think back to last season, I know it ended up pretty close at the end, but one of the common complaints that Napoli fans had was, yeah, we have a lot of injuries, but Milan did too, and they kept on winning last season. So whatever it is, Pioli seems to find a way to get results. I'm also concerned about our ability to score. As we saw against Empoli, with guys like Osimhen, Zielinski, Fabian all out, if Mertens doesn't score, we don't really have anyone else that can contribute goals. So especially playing at the San Siro, I'd be pretty content with a draw, but I'm leaning more towards a loss. So that's where we'll leave it. Sabrina, best of luck on Sunday. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me and good luck. I hope it's a good game. No injuries, touching wood right now. (laughs) And uh, no controversial penalties or red cards or whatever. I'm just hoping for a great game. Well, I think even there you might be. That might be some wishful thinking. That'd be the masters. That'd be the masters in charge. Oh God! This one. So, yeah, let's hope for uh, you know a fair game, no injuries, and you know may the best side win. You can find Sabrina on Twitter at sabryb10. You can find me on Twitter at joe underscore fischetti five, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back next week to review this match and to preview our final match of 2021, which is against Spezia. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli Sempre. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.